Hello, and welcome to episode 79 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler. I am joined today with Pete D. Mayo. Hey, everybody. Happy springtime and welcome to the podcast. It's not spring yet. I'm we, saying it's springtime. We've got another month. I'm not waiting that long. Okay. Depends where you are, too, because different places have different seasons, right? Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Like when it's winter in the U.S., it's summer in uh, Australia. Yeah, but it's not like spring starts earlier. Well, they're different dates, right? So, yeah. I assumed it was always the same date. The solstice would be on the same time, the same date around the world. It may not be the spring solstice or something. I don't know. Well... Let's stick to hotel marketing. <laughs> yeah, clearly we have no idea what we're talking about when it comes to solstices. Is, is. And I'm also joined with Melissa Kavanaugh. Hello and happy sunny day to you. Is it sunny today? It, it is sunny it today. It may not be sunny anywhere. But it Some may not be sunny anywhere. Be this is true. We've got, we got to cater to our worldwide audience that we have now. That's true. You know, I was just in New York this week at the HSMAI um, Digital Strategy Conference. And on Tuesday, it was... And Wednesday, beautiful weather. Like it, I think you got up to like seventy degrees. Like beautiful, beautiful weather. Which You'd is very unlike New York. New York in yeah, in a t-shirt. Then I was there yesterday, walking around, and it was down to like forty degrees. It was ridiculous, and it was rainy and miserable. Which and sounds like cool. New York in February. Yeah, that's what I was expecting yeah. to be fair. So I shouldn't be complaining. Did, I should did be it feel like home to you? Uh, yeah, actually it did. You know what? It, it felt even more like home because I found a British um, store that sold a bunch of traditional British stuff, like legit stuff. And um, I ate way too much. My biggest loser went off the rails this oh, week. Oh, no. So I went and I got a, um, a Cornish pasty, a, a scotch egg, and a sausage roll, and some British version of dairy milk chocolate bar as well. And I washed it all down with a lilt, a can of lilt. So I don't know what any of those things are that you just said. I've heard of a Scottish egg. Scotch egg. Yeah, that. I've heard um, of that. So Scotch egg is, uh, it's a boiled egg, hard boiled egg wrapped in like sausage meat and then wrapped in breadcrumbs. Oh, that sounds fantastic. It's delicious. It was the best thing to take in your lunchbox to school as a kid. Because wow. it, it's like all the major food groups. It, it's really good. Cornus pasty is like a, it's like a puff pastry filled with uh, meat and gravy and potatoes and vegetables and stuff. It's like a, again, it's a whole meal. Um, you eat it warm. And then sausage roll is like American sausage rolls, but with really good sausage meat and flaky pastry around it. And it's, it's about, I don't know, six inches long. Really, really delicious. And then lilt is like a tropical drink thing. Oh. Do you know how to make those items? I I have, but not I mean not to the professional level of Myers of Keswick, which is where I ate these. Mm. So if you're ever in New York, I think it's on Hudson Street. I literally walked two miles because I saw that this store existed. So instead of jumping in the cab and being lazy, I knew I was going to eat way too much food. So I jumped in it. I, I just walked two miles to go find it. I'm going to be there in June, and I'm going to go to that. You place. should go to Myers of Keswick. It's a tiny little place, but it's um, full of delicious food. Oh, and we also have another guest with us today. That was a long intro for you two, um, and it was my fault. But we got um, someone making his debut, a, a fellow fueligan. We have Jeremy Razuk, like book, I'm told, is how your name is pronounced. Hello, yes. welcome to the podcast. That is correct, Stuart. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> you know who told me how to pronounce your name? Who? You did, so I'm hoping that it was correct. 
Um, so Jeremy has been with us uh, for, for almost a year now. He, he started out as an intern. He's um, one of our marketing specialists here on the fuel team. So we invited him because the other folks were not available today, and we figured we wanted a lot of different varied opinions. So we brought uh, Jeremy onto the show. So we're looking forward to having you on on a frequent basis, sir. All right. So topic today, Pete, you did this one. What are we talking about? So this day we're talking about the Google changes that are going to rock your hotel's world in 2018. There's going to be a lot of things changing and all the hoteliers out there listening to us really need to pay attention. Yeah, they, seriously. Yeah. Google's always up to stuff, right? Um, this year, maybe more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of you know, all the episodes we've had recently, this is the one where you have your pad and paper, your pad and pencil handy, and making some notes is going to be really helpful. Or if you're driving. You know, yeah, don't do that notes. if you're driving. But you can always go to the fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on uh, episode 79, which will give you the show notes as well. Um, so before we jump into that, let's do, as we always do, see what's going on in the newsies, Melissa. All right. Today we are looking at a, an article from tnews.com, and it's about Airbnb, and the title is Making Its 10th Year Anniversary Airbnb Pivots to a Future of 1 Billion Annual Guests nice Nights by 2018. So Airbnb just turned 10 years old. Happy birthday to Airbnb. And they had a large soiree for the company and all kinds of people came in to hear about what's going on with the company. And they announced that their goal, one of their goals, is to have 1 billion guests per year by... Is it guests or guest nights? Was it guest nights? The title says guest nights. The other thing said guests. So I I don't know. A lot. A lot. Yes, guest nights by 2028. So in 10 years from now, 1 billion guest nights per year. Hmm. That's a lot of guest nights. That is. And in addition to that, they also sort of explained some new things that they're going to do to help push potential guests to come and stay so that they hit that 1 billion night stay, Uh, starting with something called Airbnb Plus. And this was pretty cool to me. Airbnb Plus is going to have inspected listings. So these are gonna be listings that have been verified for quality and comfort, and it's going to use a 100-point checklist. So it'll be verified that this is really an okay property to stay at, and it meets these certain standards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of know that when you stay there, you know what to expect. And somebody has said that it's approved. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I think um, I've heard mixed feelings about that that whole system some of the hosts just don't like what's happening with the ecosystem right now because you know there there was a authenticity it was you know a unique experience with with airbnb but now they're getting into the hotel business you know they're actually getting properties themselves they're going to start selling inventory for hotels they're offering this tiered version of the hosting as well so it's changing the dna of what has what what airbnb has been for the last 10 years and, you know, people don't always like change. Uh, people so, sometimes do not like change. Yeah. So what we see in a year's time from now on Airbnb is, is going to be very, very different than what we see today. 
And speaking of changes, another change would be Airbnb for luxury. And the official name of this by Airbnb is Airbnb Beyond. And the company is really wanting to market its select higher-end homes to a broad and deep network of affluent travelers, specifically. So that'll be interesting to see. They're going to focus on better search, and we know that already their search experience on the website and mobile is really, really good, and they're going to continue to refine that. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, and they're offering new property types. And we've talked about this, I think, maybe on the last episode, that they're already starting to let boutique hotels in on the game here, but we're also talking about other unique vacation homes and things like that. So again, hotels in general, we're going to start seeing more of that versus just our homes and apartments and condos. Yeah, I kind of agree with Stuart that they're starting to lose their DNA. At what point do you become TripAdvisor and for any destination you have 500 pages of results? And from a customer's perspective, you don't know if you're booking at a hotel at the exact thing you're trying to get away from right. when you book through Airbnb, or are you booking at just a nice quaint little you know room in someone's house? If, if they muddy those waters too much, I think it opens the door to a competitor to come in, just like they came in ten years ago. Sure. Yeah, it, it leaves a gap in the market. I think when they they complicate their business model, I, I think a lot of people are looking at this as you know they're trying to diversify their revenue streams as much as possible prior to an IPO because. Obviously, they want to maximize the, the revenue they can generate when they go public. But, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, you know, have you guys used Airbnb? I've not. I mean, I've once or twice. I've always used VRBO. Yeah. But you, you're traveling with family, right, usually? Usually, I'm looking for... Or multiple a, people. A full-on house or yeah. a place to my own. I stayed at an Airbnb, but I wasn't the one who actually booked it. Was it, was it a shed? Was the host there? No. Okay. What about you, Jess? I've actually never used Airbnb before. And you're a millennial. You're like their target audience. Yeah, I've just, I guess I'm like anti-millennial or something. You're anti-yourself. I'm anti-myself. Okay. I didn't know what, I didn't know what to expect when I got there. So this was a condo that I had stayed at and it was very nice. It was basically clean and it was in the location that I thought it was going to be in and all the things that the picture showed it was. But then I got into the bathroom and the shower curtain had like soap scum on it and I'm like I know I'm not in a hotel I'm in somebody's house but should I expect soap scum on the shower curtain that's called authenticity yeah would that be on the 100 point checklist <laughs> it's artisan it provides yeah. to the experience yeah exactly I mean it's no dirtier than my own house would be but I'm like I'm paying for this I don't want to stay in soap scum <laughs> You know, just say these big for themselves. Yeah, but, you know if, if they're going after that experience, right? if they're going <laughs> after the broad market, yeah, this is the direction that they need to go. They need yeah. to have the checklist, and they need to have basically what you know a hotel would offer. They need to have that QA because there is a portion who's going to want the soap scum and the you know unique. <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> really wants. <laughs> well, no, but they scum. want the unique experience of I am staying in someone's house. Yeah. Versus someone who is used to retail hotels who are just expecting you know the never lived in experience right. you know they got both of those guys. Well, i think we can agree that there's, there's a ceiling right airbnb are only going to get a certain percentage of the population if they only offered what they have been offering for the right. last 10 years 
So they have to diversify if they want to get. And there's four of us in this room who are all, I would say, tech savvy. You know, we've all traveled a little bit, and yet none of us have really jumped in two footed with Airbnb. You know, so to get us, they have to get different kinds of inventory. They have to do different things, and uh, so you know, the approved types of of host the higher end types of property that's something that's going to appeal to certain demographics so they're smart people they're very smart i i, I like what they're doing um just as, as a casual observer because i think we all as business operators can learn from them so pete what else is going on in the newsies all right so this one is pretty interesting and i think if anybody has done a search for any type of hotel, it's not going to be surprising. But Priceline Group is changing their name from Priceline Group to Bookings Booking Holdings. And this is really to represent the growth that Booking.com has experienced over the last several years. And the fact that Priceline.com, I mean, I've forgotten about it, to be honest with you, but also overseas in, in the international markets. Booking.com is the primary revenue driver for what was Priceline Group and now Booking Holdings. So it, it's not a an earth-shattering you know piece of news today, but I think it is interesting that the international market is driving the change and how Priceline is really just adapting to their most successful franchise that they have. Do you know the last time I used Priceline was when it was used for groceries? Does anybody wow. remember, I that? Don't remember that? Priceline was used for yeah. groceries. I don't even remember how you did it, but somehow you could somehow name your price or some something for groceries. It was a giant pain in the butt of the grocery store, but you got a cheaper price on groceries. Really? Yes. Huh. That was a long time ago. That's really weird. Um, yeah, I you know I haven't used Priceline itself like the opaque rate stuff for a long time. It's it's been a while, but. Uh, I know people that swear by it, especially when they go into busy cities. It, it makes sense. But all of our clients, I mean, if you look at their, their channels, third-party channels, booking.com is always number one, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and we, you know, we always talk about booking.com being the leaders in terms of the UI, the experience. They're doing a really, really good job. I just, I don't, I'm not really sure why. I haven't, I was at the conference this week. Um, so I didn't really read up on this article, so I don't know what the rationale was behind it. Like, there's got to be a business reason other than just acknowledging the importance of Booking.com in the overall umbrella business. No, it was it was more of a disconnect in the international market of why Booking.com was Priceline. Okay. They were just going after. So okay, everyone internationally understands Booking.com is our brand. Yeah. It makes sense to align our name with with sense. where the money's coming from. So this is really funny. There was a guy at the HSMAI conference from booking.com and the conference was the day that this news broke right in the morning and he said to someone while he was there he said he almost let the cat out of the bag before it was announced he was about to tweet about it because they knew about it internally Uh, before the initial original or the official press release had been sent out but um can you imagine the kind of oh that would have been really bad that's probably fireable that would be the Uh, last bit of advanced information that he gets yeah Yeah. well here's why they made another thing to consider is priceline group aka booking holdings has twenty two thousand employees Seventeen thousand of them work on booking.com wow interesting wow so that kind of explains why Yeah. they're making the it, it's yeah. been i mean the vast majority of their revenue for for many many years you know so 
Absolutely. October of 2000 is when Priceline stopped selling groceries. But when did they stop? Uh, huh? Before that. Maybe 1999. That's how time usually works. Right? Yes. You usually start before you stop. That's how long ago it was. Wow. Hmm. I was tech savvy back then. Maybe. Yeah. That was before your time here, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Long before. So there, that was, were you in New York at the time? Yes. So, yeah. Okay. I don't think it made it down to the sticks of South Carolina. Yeah. It reminds me of the funny comedy bit that Mitch Hedberg has where he goes, all photos are photos of you when you were younger. You know, because <laughs> like, people show you a picture, hey, this is a picture of me when I was younger. He goes, all photos were a picture of you when you were younger. This is true. That's valid. <laughs> Mitch That's correct. I miss him. He was very funny. So, yep. But hey, you want to talk about some things that Google are doing? Let's do it. Yeah. Rock your hotel's world in 2018? Yeah. So, well, I mean, to start this off, we know that Google's always making changes and they're always looking at ways they can improve their algorithm and improve their bottom line in terms of a revenue perspective. And we're seeing a lot of these changes all starting to coalesce in 2018 to where if you're a hotelier or even if you're not a hotelier and just a marketer or site manager in general, you're going to want to pay attention. And we're going to go through, I think we have like four or five of these items that are really going to make a difference. And every single one of them is very actionable and things that, that you can do at your hotel that are going to significantly help improve your search rankings. The first one is think mobile first or get to the back of the line. Basically, what that means is if you are not in the mobile first mentality, that you are going to be penalized and more and more severely penalized by Google for not addressing the needs of your mobile customers. Yeah, and they've been saying this for a while, how, how important mobile is. You know, they separated the index a, a good while ago mm -hmm. now, but now with the page speed changes that are coming, it's about to get real. I mean, yeah. it, if you have not been paying attention to this and you're way, way behind and you need to drop every other priority in your business right now and go make sure that your website is mobile friendly, at mobile first, really. Yeah. Um, because if you're not, not, not only are you doing a disservice to the customers you're currently getting coming to your site, but you're going to lose a lot of visibility to those other potential people that could see your site in the future. Yeah. And, and here's why. I was on a call with a client today and looking at their analytics, 73% of their web traffic was mobile based. 73? 73% of oh, their wow. January traffic was on a mobile device. So when we say mobile first, it's because nobody's going to, in their case, their full website on a desktop. It all happens on a mobile device. Yeah, it's, you know, I keep mentioning that HSMA, I think it's so fresh in my mind, but our topic was the same as last week's podcast episode. I, I spoke on the mobile tipping point. And if you didn't listen to that episode yet, go back and listen to it because some of the data that we're seeing is bananas. And we are projecting from our data, some of our clients are going to hit the second mobile tipping point as soon as December of 2018. So that's this year. We're going to see not just traffic on mobile phones being more than desktop, but actual bookings. We're going to have more bookings coming in from a mobile phone than we do from a desktop by the end of this year. And that, I mean, if you're not focused 100% on your mobile strategy right now, then you need to be scared because you're yeah. going to be losing out significantly 
if you don't. Can yeah. we talk about pop-ups on mobile phones, please? Do we Google have to? loves pop-ups on mobile, right? Yeah, I False. had that the bigger the pop-up, the more obtrusive <laughs> the pop-up, the better. The higher you rank. In fact, they're going to create a new page in front of the first page just for those people. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of that is false. Uh, and we know that that's false. We've talked about this many times before that Google has been penalizing mobile sites for a long time now because of intrusive pop-ups on sites. My concern is that people are going to try and start gaming this because people love their pop-ups. And I would just beg people to please, if you're going to try and still do some sort of a something on your website to do something that Google might frown upon otherwise, to please test it. Please. I'm begging. I don't beg often. I'm begging right now. Well, I've had a lot of clients come to me with ideas. It's like, well, you know, because we've been educating them on you can't do pop-ups for a while. And they're always looking for a way around it. They're looking to game the system. Well, if I do this, is Google going to know about it? If I do this, it... If your question is, is Google going to find out about it? Because you know if if Google does find out about it, you're probably in trouble. Don't Don't do do it. it. Don't even think about it. (laughs) To be fair, though, Melissa's calling me out a little bit because I'm trying to test and see what we can do to still – because what we've seen is across the board, like you said, in this one client's case, 73% of people coming from a mobile device. Now, we're not testing this with this client in particular, but other clients are seeing a massive drop in email collections. Because the primary way people were collecting emails was via a first visit pop-up and promotion to get the best offer into your email address. Well, now that you can't do that to a majority of your guests, what do you do? You know, so we're looking for other creative ways of you know, injecting an email sign-up for first-time visitors that's within the mobile site experience. So it's not a pop-up, but it, exp- it only exists for first-time visitors. And then once they either complete the pop-up or the form or, you know, close the form, they don't see it again on future visits. So it's kind of playing around with the layout of the site. And, you know, everything says it's not going to be an impact, but it's one of those things where you need to test it. Yeah, and I'm so torn on this this subject. I, I really am. Like, part of me is I see the value in collecting the emails as aggressively as possible without bending and skirting the rules and doing it in an authentic way that's that's transparent to the guest, that they know what they're going to sign up for, they know what they're going to receive, and then you deliver on that promise. And I see the value in it. But then at the other side, the other part of me is like, well, people aren't coming there to sign up for an email. Like, let them do their business of booking the room now. There's a time and a place to collect the email at some point when it makes sense. But it, it's tough because... The numbers don't lie. You know, as much as I've hated the existence of pop-ups as a consumer, as a marketer, it's made my clients hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars, you know? So And that's the hardest part. I mean, I go back to maybe not even a year ago, we had a, a dinner with Flip2 and some of the other, you know, market movers, you know, in Myrtle Beach. And, you know, we were talking about the fact that we need to do everything we can to collect email addresses. And hoteliers need to hit the email database as hard as they can. And the problem is, is the best practices say don't do it. But when you look at it from an accounting perspective, that's what makes the cash register ring. And, you know, the difference between what best practices say and, you know, what actually, you know, covers payroll is a whole different thing. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, email's tricky, right? Because there's, there's certainly right ways and wrong ways to do it. But you can get close to doing it the wrong way and mm-hmm. still be very successful, you know? I, I think it, there's a huge margin for error that, that tolerates bad email marketing. And that's what gives us a wrap. And that's why Google has to do what it's doing. It's why the um, email service providers have to do what they do from a spam compliance. So we as good clean marketers get penalized for all the shoddy marketers out there that are misusing email and we end up getting punished for it and ultimately for those of us that are doing it correctly the the guest benefits from it right so we're we're being punished and we can't do it as effectively and now the guests are suffering because we can't communicate as effectively the way we used to and this this shit is about to get really crazy now that Google's allowing you to do AMP tags in emails or will be rolling that out for Gmail. Mm-hmm. It's going to get even more crazy where marketers are going to try to start selling things and ram the booking process and all other kinds of stuff into the actual email clients as well. Yeah, I mean, so Google said that they're going to penalize you back in January 2017. And what I see in 2018 and kind of what the, the industry sees is they're going to start cracking down more and more. So make sure if you have that, you know, what Google defines as a kind of intrusive interstitial or intrusive pop-up, you need to get rid of that. It is not helpful for you and it's going to hurt your rankings. But kind of going beyond the pop-up, because that is one thing that Google is going to, to focus on. The second one is Google has said and has, is going to be including your mobile experience into your overall rankings. Not just your mobile rankings, but your desktop rankings as well. Yeah, that that's a big change, right? Because they had separated the index, rightly so, different experiences in a lot of cases. But now they're saying if because consumers are using multiple devices, right? They're looking at you. They want people to find the best brands that are doing the best job promoting their company. So if you're not doing a great job on mobile, your your desktop site's not gonna be as visible. So even though we've said mobile is the most important thing, your desktop is still important and it's going to get punished because your mobile experience lacks. Absolutely. And then lastly, from a you know, mobile perspective, is slow traffic keep right. You know, if, if you are a <laughs> slow website, you are going to be on the, in the slow lane and you are not going to get the SERP exposure that a fast site has. So if you have your mobile site and your desktop site, site all of them, you need to make sure that you're running a, on a CDN. You need to make sure you have all the proper site caching, image compression, and everything else that's needed from a best coding perspective to make sure when someone pulls up your website, it loads near instantaneously. Yeah, you know who needs to do a better job of that? Who's that, Stuart? Fuel travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know where the the cobbler's kids. But there's a video of a guy with a man bun. This is true. Really all that matters. In, and yeah. I think that is really what matters. Our website is terrible. We need to <laughs> we need to revamp that this in the next couple of months. So we, we're planning on doing it. It's, we're the cobbler's children, right? We just we're too busy servicing our clients, and we need to focus on our own. But our, our current site is so slow. It, it it burns my buttons, Melissa. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Yeah, but but to, please don't let our own website be a reflection of the quality job we do for our clients because their sites are blazing yeah, fast. Because the quality we do for our clients is adversely impacting our own website. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good thing until we get this fixed. Yeah, all right, what's next? All right, so next up is voice search, structured snippets, schema markup, and all the stuff that you should be doing. Oh, my. 
is going to become more and more important. And, and here's why. Uh, if, if you look at the, the most popular devices, the Echoes, the Google Homes, the Apple HomePods. <laughs> no one's more than that. Well, they're going to. I, I bet Microsoft even has one, but I don't even know what its name it's is. It's like $400. No one's buying the Apple HomePod. If you're Apple fanboy, you have to have an Apple. I'm an Apple pod. fanboy. I have a Mac. I have an iPhone, but I'm not yeah. spending four hundred dollars on something that I can get for thirty dollars. You know? No, that is true. But if you want to show up on any of those devices, you need to make sure that you are prepared to have your site indexed and being able to be in those results when Alexa or Google Home or Siri respond back to you with answers. And you know, one thing to consider is. There were more, I'm sorry, uh, one out of every 20 mobile searches originates from someone picking up their phone or a device and asking a question. It's a non-text-based search. Let me tell you about this. My parents are in their 70s. They came to visit me over Super Bowl weekend, and I was blown away by how many times both of them sat there with their phones and just started asking it questions during the Super Bowl, asking about football players and random things. I'm like, when did, what, what just happened here? It's craziness. I mean, they're 70 years old and they're using technology like that. So it doesn't surprise me that but, 20... But think about it. That makes sense, right? Because now they don't have to, they don't have figure, to figure out how to thumbs. type with the thumbs, um, yeah, right? Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's, it's a better technology. It's, it's a more frictionless, more natural technology. My mom was shopping for furniture. My dad's looking at football players. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and that's it, how it goes, goes to you know mobile first you have to think that way but even beyond that you have to think about other ways people are interacting with their mobile devices or their you know digital assistants or whatever it might be making sure that you can appear in those results is going to be critical in 2018 yeah and showing high you know think about especially as we go to the surplus results right when when it is an echo responding when you make a request they're going to pick the top response you know often if uh you know if it has the snippet out of someone the rich snippet coming out of someone's site or they're, they're doing the an answer to a question specifically they might read wikipedia or something like that if you're not that first result you're unfindable like people will not see you or, or hear you in this case unless you're right at the top so it's really really critical with this voice search that you consider the surplus results mm -hmm. like ricky bobby says okay, not first, first you're last. last that's exactly right I mean, we get most of our marketing tips, honestly, from Ricky Bobby. It's, you know, I've never seen that movie. What? Seriously? I've never seen it. Okay, well, Sorry. this weekend you have to watch that movie, and we'll have a quiz for you on Monday. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those that I, it gets better with more viewings mm. and more quotable, you know? Yeah. You have to On Monday, you have to answer the question, what did Ricky Bobby stab himself with? <laughs> And how heavy was baby Jesus? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So moving on. Let's That's talk a good about, segue. That, that wasn't was a tool awkward. Let's talk about one other thing that Google's doing in 2018 that's going to impact your hotels. And that is the growth of their AI, their rank brain, and what we call linkless mentions. So what we're seeing happen more and more is, and we've seen this with Bing for a while, we expect Google's doing the same thing, but we don't know that to actually be the case. But any time that your, previously it would be, any time your hotel's mentioned and nobody gave you a link to it. They just mentioned 
you know, hotel name XYZ and moved on with the forum or the blog post or whatever it might have been. It was a big lost opportunity from a search marketing perspective. You want to reach out to that person and get them to add a link, you know, from that anchor text back to your site. Well, we know Bing is already seeing that and using that as part of their ranking algorithm. So if you have, you know, a fantastic property, you're listed in a lot of, you know, references on forums or blogs or whatever it might be, that is going to help your ranking, even if there's not a link. Because the AI that surrounds, you know, all the search engines at this point really does look at the web holistically and understands that there are more ways to refer a person to a property than just a standard you know, HTTP link. Yeah, thanks for knocking all the <coughs> yeah, microphones, by the way. Um, yeah, this this is interesting, right? And not just are they looking at the fact that there was a mention somewhere on the internet, right? But they're also looking at the sentiment, like the what the tone was when you're mentioned. So they're doing the the they're reading the surrounding text and understanding if someone's saying good things about you or bad things about you. So it's not just a volume thing. So don't just go writing a bunch of you know, because I could see people taking this, say, I'm just going to go do what we used to do and spam all the message boards with my brand name because a lot of them stopped you being able to spam with links, right? But now you could spam with, with name, just the name. But and, you have a, you're, you're talking about AI. You know, we're talking right. about, you know, the quintessential big brother. Right. They, and Google's already said that they're looking to stop what they quote unquote call fake news. Yeah. That's what you're doing when you're spamming something. You're creating that fake news. Yep. What you need to do from a hotel's perspective is give amazing service to every single guest. Because now they don't have to necessarily leave a review on TripAdvisor. They just need to tell anybody yeah. that they didn't have a good experience or that they had a fantastic experience. And that's going to help your rankings. Yeah. And this, this not just on you know, websites. There's also social media, too. So if someone tweets about you or without a link or they write about you on Facebook. So you, this has just opened up an, a huge opportunity because up until now, that currency of value was links. And there's only a limited number of people really had the ability to give you a link. You know, they had a blog or a website. But now literally anyone that writes any content on the web potentially can add value or, or send a signal to Google's rank brain algorithm that they had a positive experience or a negative experience, and that's gonna impact your search ranking. Yeah. I see this as making a better web overall. This is kind of what all the algorithms needed to get to. It's, it's web 2.0. Ooh. <laughs> we should coin that term. Web 2.0, got it. Let me yeah. write that down. Yeah. What happened to web 2.0? I haven't heard anyone talk about that for like 15 years. It's, it's evolved. What? <laughs> did, did web 3.0 ever really happen? Or I think it's like the iPhone, it jumped right to web, WebX. Yeah. We're Web 10 now. <laughs> so, we're 10xing I mean, the web. Yeah. The web. I like true. it. So, no, I mean, when you think about it in general, though, that's really what search engines have been trying to do anyway. Find the best result for a customer with all the data that's out there. And if the data is via link, if it's via just text, whatever it might be, they're pulling more and more of this information together. And kind of we talked about with machine learning in past episodes, it's going to get better and better. Yeah. And any we're going to reiterate this throughout this show anything you think is gaming the system or getting around the rules that appear and thinking you're going to trick google they have a freaking ai that is this smart now they are going to catch you it might not be today 
but they're going to catch you and you are going to get penalized for it. So stop even thinking that way. Stop thinking about how can I beat Google at its own game and start thinking about how can I provide better value for my potential guests? How can I provide 10x content that's going to, or utility that's going to provide value that's going to make someone want to stay with me? That's what your focus should be. Right on. Yeah, man. Is there anything else, Pete? There's more. So let's talk about security because this is one of those things where make a note, pause the podcast, and jot down, talk to my web developer about making sure my hotel site is 100% secure and running on an HTTPS connection. So yeah, so starting in July 2018, Google is going to start showing favoritism to sites that have HTTPS over other sites that just have HTTP. Yeah, so this is one of those things where it's not really a penalty if you don't do it. It's more of a bonus if you do do it. It's more of a carrot than a stick, right? Right. So, yeah, there's no reason not to do it. You know, we were a little resistant. We had some SEOs criticize us, you know, a year or two ago because we weren't saying everyone has to do this yet. We were saying if you were in, uh, certainly your booking engine component needed to be, certainly if you were in banking or some kind of transactional thing or something that required a secure login, you should have been for some time. But for the average hotel website, the main piece of it, we weren't necessarily recommending it a couple of years ago. But it was expensive changed. back then to get the SSL certificate. It was. It was and an extra few hundred dollars a year or whatever. So, But it know. wasn't just that. It was you know, the process of getting an SSL on a site was ex- expensive in terms of just getting the SSL. Yeah. But then, two, putting it in place from a technology perspective, was pretty expensive. It could be, yeah. And, you know, some people are still now recommending that you don't do it. And some of that is, you know, it's the same old um, usual suspects that have their own proprietary CMSs that aren't compatible with HTTPS. So their, their advice is, no, you don't need it because the reality is they can't actually do it. And right? don't forget, search engines aside, you still have browser-specific warnings that come up now when things aren't secure that yeah, can yeah. definitely cause some doubt by the consumer. Right. And, and, and Google again, right? So with Chrome, when you, any kind of form, when you're filling out any kind of data, there's going to be some kind of alert now mm-hmm. when you're Yeah. When I mean, it's, it's a scary alert because we've had this happen, you know, a, a while ago, I think we saw Firefox doing it in some cases where it would say, caution, any data entered here could be, you know, stolen by Russians. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we, Customers were scared to fill out a form, and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, there's no reason not because if, if you build a site on a on a very good open source CMS like WordPress, something you know, or, or whatever, right now, usually there's a very easy path to HTTPS with WordPress specifically. With most hosts, if you're using say a WP engine, something like that, it's literally a click of a button to change it, it to. HTTPS. Now, you might have to go through the code to make sure any references and links and, and things like that are HTTPS versus HTTP. But it, it's not something that's going to take you a whole lot of time. There's really no downside to doing it. There's no negative. In, it, it, as a rule, you should live by, if Google says you, you will get benefit from doing something or if Google recommends you should do something, just do it. Don't ask questions. It's They know what they're talking about. And they often tip their hat to what's coming down the line, you know? So well, especially from a technology perspective, they always let you know. I mean, if it's a, you know, somewhat of a, a secretive algorithm type change, you don't know until it happens. But in something like this, they're just saying, hey, if you do this, we're going to reward you. Yeah. And th- 
you know, Stuart, to use one of your favorite words, arbitrage, this is a perfect opportunity if you're listening to the podcast or you just know about this to get it done because I guarantee you a lot of your competitors are not. And if you're neck and neck with them in the search rankings, it's a perfect opportunity to get ahead of them. Yeah. And think about, always think about why when Google saying things like this, like when we go back to the email pop-ups, Google saying, don't do that because it's a bad user experience. As consumers, we don't enjoy that experience, right? It's the same with this. Google are making people become secure because it's better for the consumer. I want my data to be protected, right? When I do fill out a form, even though it's not a credit card, I don't really want the possibility for someone to hack the site and grab my physical address and my name and my email address, right? So this is a good thing for me as a consumer. Well, I mean, going back to a couple of years ago when PCI compliance on our booking engines was such a big deal. And everyone's like, the sky is falling. We're not going to get this thing done. It's going to cost me it's, so much money. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you get it done and you realize, oh, I'm not going to be susceptible to a $10,000 per stolen credit card fee if my site's not PCI compliant. Everybody is now. This is just the next logical <laughs> interaction. Most people. I still come Should across. Be. Yeah. Put this on your list of questions to ask your yeah. booking engine provider. But again, if you put yourself in the consumer's seat there or shoes or whatever you want to put yourself in of the consumer you if you don't want your credit card information compromised so pci compliance as much of a pain in the ass as it was for us as vendors and all the people kicking and screaming and complaining about having to do it when you put your consumer hat on and say this protects me this protects my data this stops people stealing my credit card information it's a really really positive thing and and it should have probably happened a long time ago probably shouldn't have needed to happen but because everyone was the wild west of collecting uh, credit cards it had to happen all right yeah so that's kind of the you know the next kind of action item that you can do the next two items and we'll kind of go through these you know very quickly but are things to be on the lookout for in the first one is google hotel ads or you refer to as gha or if you want to go in the wayback machine hpa they're going to be getting a new interface for managing your Google Hotel ads within their system. And there's conflicting information on this. Like I'm hearing from reliable yeah. sources on both sides, like some are saying that it's actually getting completely rolled into pay-per-click, which into AdWords, which our rep is not saying that, right? right? But other people from Google have said that. And then others are saying it's just a revamp of the current GHA to make it more like AdWords. My point on that is it doesn't matter right now the system that they have sucks it is not easy to manage it takes too much time and you don't have the granularity you need to do a phenomenal job optimizing the campaigns so whatever they do if they call it the gha version of adwords hey that's cool go for it as long as we have the ability to optimize our clients campaigns yeah it's gonna be interesting to see though because because does this mean that we'll now be able to control where the ads show up because up until now you have not that's been able to the do million that in GHA, or right? billion dollar question yeah. yeah i don't want my ad to show up necessarily like it's in the map result if i'm looking for a property yeah but in in brand versus broad you know <laughs> i might have a different bid strategy for that stuff so i it's going to be interesting to see you know we we are usually an early adopter when they roll stuff out for gha so We'll, we'll let you know what we're seeing and what we learn from it. As it, We'll probably do a whole episode once it rolls out. But they're, they're yeah. saying it's soon. It's, it's, I think it's within They've the next They've been saying the first so. quarter, but yeah. we don't know when. 
Should be within the next month or so. We're we're excited to see it. And if you're not, you know, if you're not currently participating in GHA, you really, really should because it's one of those battlegrounds where if you're not there, guess who is there? Your buddies, the OTAs, right? So they're gonna steal your business if you're not there. And from an ROI perspective, it crushes it, right? It does better than Trip Connect. It does better than some AdWords campaigns. It does better than a lot of third-party metas. So you, the, the volume's not great yet, but Google's making big, big strides to improve that. They just put the, the hotel yeah. button on the locals, on the mm-hmm. local pack for um, on mobile now where you can actually dig straight into it. So, But I mean, think about it, that's a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing, you know, 500 plus percent return on investments on the existing GHA experience. And you need to be there because one is 500% but you're also pushing your OTAs down. But when the new system rolls out, we're gonna have even more control, and I would expect that to be an even greater return on investment because you can be more specific and you yeah. can better optimize. Yeah, Google are putting a lot of focus on this product. They, you know, they, they cracked the flight nut for some time, and I think they wanna do the same for hotels. And it's, it's been really anemic up until now uh, from a volume standpoint, but I think this next 12 months is going to be huge for Google hotel yep. ads. Huge. And then lastly, this is just something that's great to know from a web user's perspective, from a hotelier's perspective and a general marketer's perspective. But for so long, we're used to scrolling down to the bottom of your search results and you see other people search for or other searches include. Now, if you do what's called pogo sticking, which is you click on a search result, you go to a website, you bounce off that website and come back to the search result, Google's proactively showing you what other people have searched for. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. We talked about this a little last week in the news section. We did. But it's, um, one, probably for me, it's one of the biggest uh, major changes they've done to the SERP in a while. They've rearranged stuff a lot, right? They've definitely put more ads up the top. They've, they've moved the organic below the local pack you know they do stuff like that but this is the first time they've really in a long time injected something brand new into it that's going to change your behavior because it's very very apparent when you do come back to the SERP it animates right it expands so you see it they're definitely drawing your eye to it and it's driving you to a second search page right whereas everything else is keeping you there and trying to get you to pick the two or three or four elements from that one SERP this one's now saying okay you didn't like what you found right away on this SERP, we're gonna send you to another SERP. And guess what's at the top of the next SERP you go to? More ads. More ads. So it, it seems a little greedy to me. I guess it's good for the consumer, but it's certainly good for the um, stockholders. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's one of those situations where Google's saying, yeah, that's a real shame that we're showing four more ads, but we're also giving better results. Yeah. So, I mean, my question is, is how does this data impact rank brain and how does it impact Google's AI down the road? Because they know typically say it's the first organic result that you click on for any given term is not the one that you wanted and you pogo sick back and then you clicked on something else. To me, that's a, a double red flag. One, Google didn't give you the best result to start with. But then number two is that result does not belong in that first position. So you need to you know, ho- at least hopefully give the customer what they want as soon as they visit your website. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy how much data they're already looking at, and this is just going to open up a whole bunch more data for them to see. You know how people start their query and then it refines into new queries to actually get to what they want. So they're going to start anticipating what you're really asking. They're going to be better at understanding what you're trying to ask than you are articulating mm-hmm. it, which is scary but cool at the same time. Well, a lot of that feeds into the whole voice search anyway. You know, a lot of times you'll just ask a very broad question and expect, you know, Google, Siri, or yeah. you know, Alexa to, to answer it. And then 90% they don't understand it, and you have to re- rephrase it like seven times before you actually get the response yep. you want. Yeah, I'm ready for these smart devices to get smarter because half the time they don't give me what I want. Yeah, I'm ready for our AI overlords to take over and make my life better. <laughs> I'm all about it. <laughs> Bring it on. You know what's interesting is Google has completely separated their robotics division from their AI division purposefully because they're really concerned about the two of those things merging together and us turning into Terminator. As long as they don't work with Boston Dynamics ever, I'm okay with that. Dude, those because Boston the, Dynamics robots are the yeah. best. If you've not seen them, go to Google <laughs> and just type in Boston Dynamics and lo- watch the videos. they got those little dog things. That, that look, open the door and let other dogs through? Yeah, and they look so much like the, the ones from Black Mirror that it's really, really scary. Um, if you haven't seen Black Mirror, there's an episode with killer robot dogs. And they look just like these these things in real life. And then they've got the other robot that looks like a human that can do backflips. What? It's insane. It's really, really cool. And, and pick up stuff and walk through the snow. Yeah. So e- either way, definitely yeah. from a hotel perspective, optimize from a Google search perspective. But also make sure you always have a little EMP device that you can shock <laughs> the robots that might be nearby <laughs> when they decide to run Take up. nothing else from this episode. That, that is definitely yeah. it. You need to be able to have electric protection from yeah. robots. So one thing you will notice, right, as we're talking about Google, we're talking about, you know, SERP changes. We're talking about, um, you know, a lot of stuff outside of just the, the traditional algorithm, right? Because that always used to be, when we're talking about Google, it was always algorithm, algorithm. We talk about Penguin and we talk about Panda and these big changes, sweeping changes that changed how things were ranked. That's not how Google operates anymore. They don't come out with these big updates that make a bit big disruption. It's constant iterative testing and refining. And a lot of that is because of rank brain becoming so important. They're tweaking the metrics that it's looking at. They're twe- tweaking the inputs, but they're trusting the fact that the AI is smarter than the people at determining what mm-hmm. is the best fit. And they're doing that by looking at consumer behavior and understanding what is a good match. So gone are the days where we see these big, on this date, it's, you know. We're not going to see the platypus SEO again. Yeah. SE- well, platypus did exist, Pete. Platypus if, was big. If you if you search um, for fuel travel platypus, I think you'll probably find the article we wrote about Google platypus, which was my favorite algorithm update ever. Um, happened to be released on April 1st, um, but... It's very entertaining, nonetheless. <laughs> so yeah, so Google's up to stuff. And if you don't think so, go do a search today for some keywords. Just take a screenshot and then go back six months from now and do the same search. And, and not only see what's mm-hmm. ranking differently, but see how it's laid out differently. I noticed I did a new search this, this weekend or this past week on the plane on the way back from New York. And um, I forgot what it was. But if you do a new search now on mobile, and I, I'm guessing this is a test because I haven't seen it on every search result, 
but the look and feel is completely ungoogle e. They've got like logos from each of the news outlets oh, that it's from. Whoa. Yeah, they've separated the news into kind of categories. And I'm wondering if this is Is to it do fake with news the fake and real news? news? Yeah, it's, those were not the categories, but I wonder if they're doing this as a response to fake news, right? So you can see that this article came from CNN or Forbes or whoever it was. It, I've only seen it on mobile and I've only seen it like I said um, this week is the first time I saw it. So so Google, they're making changes every single day. Mm-hmm. And, and all you can do as a hotelier is continue to do what we preach all the time, which is create a great user experience. Listen to what Google suggests you should do and do it. You know, When Google says jump, you say, how high? And you just do it. True that. Yeah. Yeah. Good should episode. Should we uh, read some more hotelier wishes? Oh, yeah. Let's do that. You, we're ready for Mark Simpson, who's one of our biggest fans on Twitter. Yeah, he, he tweets at us a lot. So Mark is with uh, Boostly UK. Yes, he is. And uh, Yeah, what did he have to say? He says, first, sensible answer. I don't know what it is like over there in America, but here in the UK, the independent hospitality owners are leaving so much money on the table by not investing time in email marketing. My wish would be for everyone to get on board with it in 2018. Isn't that amazing? Like he's a hundred percent right, right? Yeah. But isn't it amazing that as much criticism as email gets and as much you know spamming as people do, it is still probably the most underutilized marketing thing you can do as an independent property. I agree with him one hundred percent. This is twenty eighteen, and we're talking about people should jump on the email bandwagon. Yeah. Right? We. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody does email, but everyone does it so poorly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you spend a little bit extra time and do email great, then I mean, think yeah. what your returns will be. Because right now, the people who do a really crappy job of it, you are seeing positive returns. I'll be honest. There's some people that don't do it. We, we come yeah. across clients yeah. every single yes, we week do. that do not actively collect email and certainly do not actively send. You know, we I was talking to a new cl- software client this week about their email approach they haven't sent an email since april 2017 a single email so that tells me several things about them but one of which is you know what your email database is pretty much screwed because you probably got a ton of spam traps on that list now you're never gonna be yeah so you got you're starting from ground zero and uh yeah it's a long climb up from there but you you have to be sending email you know doing the right things segmenting personalizing all that stuff for sure but you have to be sending email. Honestly, I would rather you were spray and pray than not sending email. You know, as much as I hate the spray and pray mentality of email, I would prefer you to do that than to not send. Well, yeah, because at least if you spray and pray, you have a database to work with. Right. If you and don't, people are engaged yeah. and they're going to opt out and that's fine. And we see it happen all the time where, you know, we'll bring a new client on board and they say, I haven't sent an email in a year, but don't worry, I have a list of 30,000 people. Yeah. And it, then you send it and just the look well, no, on the no. face. First they have to give it to you on a zip drive. Right. <laughs> You're like, it's been a year? <laughs> I meant 10 years. Yeah. Anyway, so a lot of AOL addresses. But they send it and all of a sudden it comes back where half of it are undeliverable. And then it really hits home that, oops. Yeah, indeed. That's bad. So that was his sensible answer? That was his sensible answer. Did he have a non-sensible answer? Uh, well, he had. Let me give you another sensible answer, and then the non-sensible one. Okay. Uh, speaking as someone who's run their own hospitality business over here, I just wish there was a tracking tool which would ping you when guests are thirty minutes to an hour away, so you know when they're going to arrive, so you don't have to wait up 
in for them every single day. Yeah, guest communication. And, and he's talking about, you know, a small kind like of Like a B&B or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Where every guest, you know, you have to let in and personally greet and all, all that stuff. Um, you know, if you had a mobile app, there you, you wouldn't go. necessarily have to do that. Um, it, it would be cool. I, I mean, I think there's other ways to solve the same problem through communication. But um, our mobile app certainly solves that because then the guest doesn't need to check in. They can fill out the information on the phone and then come and get in their rooms. Absolutely. Yeah. So his snarky answer is to ban all yappy dogs. I know Stuart would be right on board with that. Amen. Mark and I are in agreement with that one. They don't do anyone any good is what he says. It, yeah. And this that's true. completely, I mean, <laughs> inside and outside of hotel marketing, I agree with that. Yappy dogs should be banned. That Those are his 2018 yeah. wishes. Well, no, I like the last part of his snarky answer. Oh, he says, well, I didn't think this was part of his wish list, but he says, I have loved every show I have managed to catch this year. Here's to another set of quality ones next year. Oh, that's nice, Mark. Yeah, I have a call set up with him next week, so we're going to be chatting about ways we can help each other. So, but yeah, check him out, um, Boosley UK. He's, he is on Twitter. Good job, Mark. Well, that's a wrap for another episode. Hey, Jeremy, this is your first one. How'd you feel? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, everyone that starts out, you, we, we've been doing this for like 79 episodes. So don't feel bad that you didn't you know, like talk over us because we don't let people talk too much. Yes, it, between yeah. Stuart and Pete, I usually don't get a word yeah. in it. Yeah. But also, one of the most important things we do is we share a little life story at the, the first time we ever did an episode and our favorite song. <laughs> yeah, and, and our most embarrassing <laughs> moment. That's fantastic. Yeah. Maybe we'll save that for next episode. Do you have any yeah, hidden yeah, I'll, talents I'll need we should know 48 about? 48 hours to think about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you, yeah, do you have any, let's get, let the audience get to know you a little bit better. Do you have any hidden talents? Hidden talents? Oh man. They're I, so hidden. You don't even again, know yeah, about again, them. Again, I'm going to have to like dig real deep. Okay. What do you, what do you do when you're not at work? What do I do when I'm not at work? Yeah. Like Melissa's, uh, clarinetist. Clarinetist? Yes. Okay. I'm a musician. She, has, she, she makes her pads leaky when she's not here. <laughs> I do a lot of photography. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that either. So, usually just more people. like documentary. Uh, sometimes if they're in the shot, I usually don't like them getting in my shot. I don't like people. Yeah, so. Usually just Whatever more you like get from the, the window of the van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, there we go. I th- feel like we all got to know you a little bit better, Jeremy. Yeah, there we go. Cool. So, if they want to learn more about your photography or, or how you don't like people in your shots, where can they find you on Twitter? Or the web in general. Well, if you'd like to see some of my photo stuff, which does have some people in the images, you can go to Jeremy Razook, which is J E R E M Y R A Z O O K. dot tumblr. dot com. Okay, I, ha- I will check that out personally because yeah. I didn't know you had your own Tumblr. That's neat. And uh, Melissa, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at M A Cavanaugh M A K A V A N A G H. And Peter. I'm at P DiMaio, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. How the bees? Are they good? Uh, do we have time for a bee update? Because a lot's happened. All right. Beep, 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 So I completely rebuilt the apiary, which yeah. for people who aren't fans of past episodes, the apiary is where bees are kept. I rebuilt that and I started I getting... I it was them. a hive. Does the hive live in an apiary? The hive is in an apiary, but since I have multiple hives, that area is called an apiary. And you're an apiarist. Yes, I'm an apist. Uh, <laughs> so I also went ahead and started feeding them 
uh, some pollen patties, which is like beef, what? Which is beef That's food. cheating. No, it's beef food to get them ready. Because I thought you were like pure organic beef. Well, I am. So all the honey is going to be purely organic. But what you want to do is get them ready to go for springtime. And because it's been so warm, you're here just going to make your bees lazy, dude. No, you got to get them ready. You got to get the little drones growing up. But so what, what happens in real so life? So this is like steroids for bees. Basically, you you're juicing bee, your bees, dude. You, you give them a bee patty, and then you feed them sugar water, which they use to basically simulate uh, nectar. Okay. But what that does is so it do helps. they usually in the wild do they instead eat their previous year's honey to instead of sugar water well, they would have and because you all, stole it is that no they would have eaten that all summer or all winter and i've left most of that for them okay. but what that does is it lets the colony grow in size mm. so that when everything is in bloom that they have more bees to do their bee thing and make honey okay so which means have you bought more, another box yet not yet but i've got them my amazon cart ready to buy if i need them okay but uh what that means is more honey for the people in the office. Thank oh, goodness, because awesome. I went through mine like yeah, I'm all really out. quick. Yeah, I wanted to bring more in, but I'm literally down to maybe a half a jar. Hey, can we come? You know how your daughter was giving away your, your honey before yes. it was ready? Do you think we could give a lucky listener some honey if they wrote reviews for our podcast? Yes. Yes. Okay. We will give you, I'll send you a bee in the mail. <laughs> and honey a single Start bee yeah no it's, it's a, the, the honey you get the honey but you also get a security bee that will keep keep it safe in the mail <laughs> it'll probably be dead by the time you get it yeah, what about I'm, a spelling yeah, bee that's, yeah. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one nice alright so yeah so that was a roundabout way of saying go leave us a review on iTunes yep, or you wherever you leave, you leave your messages wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> go leave us reviews we will Pick one at random from the thousands that are going to get submitted, and we'll give you some honey. Uh, you can get the show notes to today's show at fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 79. We uh, are on Twitter at fueltravel, and you can get me at Stuart Butler on Twitter. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. <laughs>